Welcome to our time together and special welcome to visitors. Trust that you've been made to feel at home with us. Uh, isn't God good? Isn't his presence powerful? The name of Jesus is real. He is real. He's here with us and he's here to minister to us. Amen. Have you felt his ministry to you while you've been worshiping him? He's been ministering to us. He's the healer. He's the saver. He saves us from all unrighteousness. What a great deal. What a great God we serve. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 14 and verse 25? And um, as you're looking that up, I want you to see a refrain that is mentioned three times. If you see that refrain at the end of our read, put up your hand and... Uh, We'll give you a prize, maybe. All right, are you there? All right. Luke 14:25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and we're doing parables. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Or if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not finish? First sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one who comes against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any one of you who does not give up Everything he has cannot be my disciple. Any hands? Did you have breakfast this morning? You did? I'm so good. Huh? <laughs> That's a good question. The question is, do you see something that is repeated three times here, a refrain that is repeated three times here? I'll keep you in suspense, and I'll tell you at the end. Elaine and I started going out, that was in the time of the Rinderpest, and um, a couple of weeks or so after we'd started going out, I uh, said to her, look, I, I feel called to the ministry, I feel called to, to be a pastor, and um, if this relationship develops and uh, we, it becomes serious, and we eventually end up in marriage, uh, would you be prepared to be a pastor's wife? She said, um, yeah, I think so. Um, what, 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 is, what does that entail? What, what's involved? I said, ah, not too much. Um, <laughs> wrong answer, <laughs> wrong answer. I mean, but what did I know about ministry? What did I know about the stresses and the strains and uh, the huge responsibility and the huge workload. And, and so many people going into ministry um, don't know what they're signing up for. 
and uh, there are many casualties as a result. I remember um, Rex Matthew, who was, uh, it was my final year, and Rex was my principal, and he said to us as students, if you can stay out of ministry, do it. It's like, huh? No ways. I mean, this guy's supposed to be encouraging us, you know, to go into ministry. Many who go into marriage um, don't know what they're really signing up for. And there are many casualties in, in, in marriage as a result of that. They say that love is blind, but marriage is the eye-opener. Um, many, many would-be disciples of Jesus don't really know what they're in for. They don't know what they're signing up for. And there are many casualties as a result, or, or many walk with, with a limp. And so, in this portion over here, in verse 25, we see that Jesus has large crowds following him. In verse 25 says, large crowds were traveling with him. And um, it was gaining momentum. It was growing. And, 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 and the Jews said to themselves, man, this must be the Messiah. This must be the person that was prophesied from thousands of years ago. Isn't he the one that's going to come and issue in the golden age, you know, peace and prosperity and overthrow the, the, Roman, the Roman Empire? Most, most leaders or Christian leaders would be delighted with huge crowds following, following them. But Jesus was not in for numbers. He was not into numbers. Jesus was into quality and not quantity. Jesus wanted his disciples to know what the cost of discipleship was all about. And he was focusing on that in this portion of scripture that we have read today. And he makes it crystal clear that it's costly, it's very costly to become a disciple of his it costs. It's definitely costly. Many non-Christians say to me down the years, you know, you Christians, you need a crutch. That's why you follow Jesus. It's just the opposite. We're swimming upstream and the world is just floating downstream. And uh, we know that it takes everything to follow Jesus, but it's much, much rewarding. And so what does it entail to wholeheartedly serve this king of glory? First of all, it involves sacrifice, sacrificing to our king. It talks about hating father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even our own lives, and carrying our cross. That's kind of severe, Jesus, isn't it? You're calling me to hate the other people, causing me to you know, hate my, my loved ones? No, no. Jesus said that we are to love even our enemies. So he was not literally calling us to, to hate our loved ones. But it must seem like hatred in comparison to our love for him. It is very much the same as when the, uh, somebody came, a would-be follower of Christ came and said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. Matthew 22 and verse 37 Novel Heldenay says, He who wishes to follow Christ must choose him so unconditionally as Lord and guide that he makes all other loyalties and ties absolutely subordinate 
to his loyalty and devotion to him. And so our first loyalty must go to Christ, no matter what the relationship is. And I'd like to give you a couple of illustrations. When we were in Switzerland, we uh, sometimes went to the Baptist church. We still kept our Baptist connection, you'd like to know. Um, they met at 12 o'clock. They met in a, in, a, in, a, in a church. They shared this church, and it was a rather odd time, so it didn't clash with ours. And there was this um, Pakistani missionary, underground missionary guy, preaching, and he told us a story that I'll never forget. And uh, it was about a teenage Pakistani young lady who came to know Christ as Savior and as Lord. And when her parents got to hear about it, beat her severely. And over and over again, she was beaten, but she refused to renounce her faith in Jesus Christ. And, and just when they thought, ah, oh, you know, that's it. She's over with, with this Jesus bit and this Christianity bit. Um, they found out that she was going to a, an underground church and she was worshiping there. They beat her to pulp and they put her into a Hessian sack and they closed the sack, threw it into the river and uh, it was carried downstream, came up on a bank near a little village. Uh, some villagers, uh, um, guys from the village walked past and they they were curious, they opened the bag, and they were horrified to see this teenager beaten to pulp. They thought she was dead, but miraculously, she had survived. And one of uh, the families in the village took her in and nursed her over many months. And when he, she had been nursed back to health and strength, was more than ever determined to follow Jesus Christ, not to follow the instructions of her family, and even being prepared to die for Jesus Christ. What an amazing example of one who hated her own life and was willing to put everything else aside. Claude Kidwell, uh, some of you might know from his involvement with Baptist Youth, was a member of our church once, and he was telling us that... Uh, he was a chief accountant at a book firm and uh, asked to kick, uh, crook the books. And um, he was asked to change things up a bit. And he said, I'm a Christian, I, I cannot do that. And, um, and the boss said, well, you have to do it. And he said, no ways. And he said, well, then you're gonna lose your job. And Claude said, well, then I have to lose my job. And um, his first loyalty was to Jesus, he was fired. And God provided for him. It was quite amazing how he found a, a wonderful job and, um, and God took, took him on at his word. I was told of a young man who was a Christian and who worked for this non-Christian boss. And on one occasion, they were together in his office and the phone rang. And the boss said to this Christian employee, answer the phone, but tell him I'm not here. And a uh, young man answered the phone and said, yes, he's standing right next to me. And he passed the phone <laughs> to his boss. And his, the fire came and, and smoke came out of his nostrils and his ears. And um, after he'd spoken to the person, said, how dare you? How dare you do that to me? I gave you an order. And uh, he said, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And if I can lie for you, then I can lie to you. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to lie to you. 
And you know, that man was promoted and eventually ended up in a very high position in that organization because the boss could trust him and boss released that to him. And it's a matter of loyalties. It teaches us about our loyalty to Jesus Christ, which must be paramount, which must be foremost in our hearts, in our lives. How are we doing in the workplace? How are we doing at school? How are we doing at university? When we're asked to enter into things that are not of God, where is our first loyalty? Is it to Jesus? I was there once as a teacher, second school we're at, and you know the jokes were just, they were not just little off, they were really blue. And uh, um, I was ostracized for that, not participating in a situation like that. I had to, I had to nail my colors to the mosque and, um, and leave the rest to God. Stephen Alford says, you can test the measure of your love and loyalty to Christ by asking yourself, what have you sacrificed for the knowledge of truth? What have you sacrificed for the knowledge of truth? Have we sacrificed anything for God? Are we living sacrificially now? Is my question to myself, as we should all be asking this question. And so Jesus had this following, this huge following. And when he started talking cold turkey with them, and when he started revealing that he was not going to be an earthly Messiah, going to issue in all the stuff uh, his followers dwindled. They, th they left. And uh, very, much, uh, very much the same as just recently heard a, a, a preacher talk about coming out of a prosperity preaching thing. And his congregation were very, very upset with him. And, and, and some left uh, because he started preaching what Jesus actually asks us to preach about. And so these were deserting him to such a degree that he turned around to his disciples, his 12, and said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said those epic words. No, you are the Christ. You're the one that has eternal life in your hands. To whom shall we turn? To whom shall we turn other than Christ? I've known a lot of people have turned their backs on Jesus Christ for various reasons for health reasons, for financial reasons, for relational reasons, for church upheaval reasons. And why? Why have they left serving God, never to go into a church again? Because, first of all, many of them never knew Christ in the first place. They were never fully born again. That's the parable of the, the soils I'll preach sometime. It was only one that stayed, one that bore fruit and that's what God wants us to be like, those who bear fruit, much fruit for, for the kingdom of God. And there's those who have left following Christ because of upheavals in their lives, because they have looked at man and they've not looked at God. They've lost sight of whom they serve. There are many who have been uh, given a, a false doctrine. They've given this prosperity thing and it's not come true in their lives. And they've been shattered. And they've turned away from God. And there have been many Christians who have turned from Christ because they've not fully understood what the cost of discipleship is all about. Most of those who followed Christ um, 
on earth um, at a distance actually pulled away from him. Even, even his very own disciple, Judas Iscariot. And that was very sad and that was very tragic. And so he talks about bearing a cross. And the people knew of others who had carried crosses and they were nailed to those crosses and they died a horrible death. And so they, they were looking for the opposite. They were not looking for martyrdom. They, they were looking for fortune. They were looking for ease. They were looking for a golden age. No, what? Jesus, this is crazy. You know, what are you preaching? What are you on about? No ways. We're not, we're not going to follow this, this gospel. Not looking for martyrdom. John Piper quotes John Barrett in uh, the World Christian Encyclopedia, it, uh, 2001 edition, stating that there were 45,400,000 martyrs in the 20th century. And uh, David Barrett estimates that there's something like 200,000 martyrs per annum in the world today. Piper goes on and says, to take up a cross and follow Jesus means to join Jesus on the Calvary Road with a resolve to suffer and die with him. The cross is not a burden to bear. It's an instrument of pain and execution. It's not like saying, oh, this arthritis, it's, it's a cross that I have to bear. Oh, this woman that I have to live, this man that I have to live, this boss that I have to work for, it's, it's the cross that I have to bear. No, no, it's an instrument of pain and execution. It would be like saying, pick up your electric chair and follow me to the ex execution room or pick up the rope and carry it to the gallows or pick up the sword and come with me to the place of being beheaded. So we're talking about counting the cost, about it being sacrificial, and then it also means that we need to suffer, be prepared to suffer for Christ. This passage is primarily for those who are seeking to know Christ and wondering what it's all about, but it's also for Christians to make them aware of what true discipleship is all about. You see, if discipleship doesn't cost anything, then nothing will be accomplished. There is a cost to accomplish. And we have to think of Paul's life and how much he accomplished throughout his life because he paid a huge price. And he was willing to pay that price. He was more than willing to pay the price of discomfort, of... Um, rejection of loneliness, of ill health, of being beaten. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 23 and 20 to 28 gives us this long list. We haven't got time to read through it now, but I'm sure you've read through it. And wow, what he went through. It's just incredible what, what, what this man endured for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the kingdom of God. And my, how we can be indebted to him for the word that was inspired by God through him to us and the many churches that, that were uh, set, uh, set into place through him. At one stage, you know how um, they said, no, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get beaten up there. He said, I'm, I'm not only prepared to get beaten up there, I'm prepared to die for Jesus. And so he went. Acts uh, chapter 9 and verse 15 um, gives an amazing insight 
into the beginning of Paul's life. Ananias, remember, Ananias was dealing with him at his conversion, and straight after his conversion, um, Ananias gives him this tremendous uh, prophecy. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What an amazing beginning. Hey, Paul, you're going to suffer a, a lot. Be prepared for it. Are you up for it? And Paul was up for it. Paul was up for it. And I wonder if we're up for it. I wonder if we're going to lose the distance and we're going to lose the pace. Because God doesn't offer us a bed of roses. He doesn't offer us an easy life. He doesn't offer us uh, a life that is just going to fall into place. Everything is going to happen willy-nilly. Parallel scripture to the portion that we're dealing with now is Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Operative words is deny and daily. We need to deny ourselves daily if we're going to follow Christ. We have to get off the cross. Off the cross. Uh, we've got to keep in the coffin. Um, we've got to manage ourselves well on a daily basis is what he's saying i'm sure that you'll agree with me that there are many differences in the worldwide church of jesus christ and um, there's the church in the west with its luxury with its opulence with its big um, buildings um, all the fanfare and so on and then there's the persecuted church the third world church and um, suffering persecution beatings martyrdom in the main, and that is, that is the church, and those are the people that are bringing in the hordes to know Christ as Savior. Multitudes are coming to know Christ as Savior in those areas. Tens and hundreds of thousands on a, on a yearly basis. That's where revival is, in the suffering church. That's where signs and wonders is happening, in the suffering church in the persecuted church. And when we look at the church and its opulence, when we look at the church uh, on the other side, in the West, then we see that there are many self-absorbed, comfort-loving, and lethargic disciples. And things are not happening there. The church is not growing and expanding as it should because of this. Far too many Christians are not even taking the trouble to read the Bibles and to pray on a regular basis. Down the years, I've had people saying to me, Christians, churchgoers, said, I, I, I don't read my Bible. Do you eat? If you're human, you eat. If Christ is in our lives, we have to eat spiritually as well. There are many Christians who have been on the road for many years disciples for decades maybe and they've never ever shared Christ with anybody else I'm not talking about leading someone to Christ they've never shared Christ they've never shared the gospel or shared a testimony at, at all there are many who have served the Lord for a long time and they're plucking up enough courage to work towards giving a tithe they haven't got there yet or those who got there are doing it sporadically haphazardly someone just recently said, it's very hard to tithe. And I said, yes, initially, maybe it's hard to tithe. But when you've 
taken that step, then God just gives you wonderful peace and wonderful joy, and it's a wonderful blessing. And when, when I give a, a, a stop order towards a tithe, you know, every month it's just, I don't have to hassle with it. You know, I don't have to pray about it. I don't like to work through my expenses. Can I cope this month? You know, I'll, I'll, and I'll do that at the end of the month. God takes care of it. God blesses. And I've seen how people have been blessed. Many men uh, are lagging behind their women spiritually and not the head of the home. And they're not leading by example. They're not up front. And someone said to me recently, oh, we can't tithe. Amen. Uh, why? Uh, because my wife doesn't want to. Many are fair-weathered Christians and come when they feel like it and uh, when it's convenient. Many are not involved in ministry. And we're, we're given the gifts of the Holy Spirit and uh, for the body of Christ, which is only strong and which is healthy when everybody is exercising those gifts. Counting the cost, there's a sacrifice. There's a suffering. And uh, we look at the world, and the world is into consumerism. They're into advancing in, in the business world and um, wanting bigger cars, bigger houses, more, 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 me, 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 give, give, give. Uh, and, and that consumerism comes into the church of Jesus Christ and, and destroys the Western church. It destroys the Western church. And Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give. It's blessed to give. And when we give our lives away, and this is what this passage is all about, carrying our cross and the illustrations in um, the section that we're coming to, we're blessed beyond, beyond measure. Two parables, very quickly, our time is going. Both deal with the cost of serving our king. They're about war and work, work and war, building and battle. And both are a serious matter. They, they, um, they need serious consideration before we enter into serving God with a whole heart. And it, it needs consideration uh, time and again. In Corinthians, uh, the book of Corinthians, it says that we are to examine to see whether we're in the faith. It's talking to mature Christians. Why is it, why is it saying examine to see whether we're in the faith? Because we grow slack, because we grow lazy, because we become complacent. And we need to check our hearts if our hearts are right with God. When we come and we worship God, is it from our hearts? Are we rejoicing in God? Is there an overflow? Are we meeting with God? Um, and when we go from this place, are we going rejoicing with the knowledge of Christ having met with us? And so we are not to take these matters lightly. Work and war are serious matters, Jesus is saying in, in, this, in this gospel. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? If he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees him will ridicule him. And I'm sure that you've seen buildings that have not been completed, and history is full of buildings that have not been completed. And... Um, we were, we were in um, Durban for 23 years, and um, many buildings just stay the same. 
year after year and you go past it and say, why doesn't somebody just, you know, break it down rather than, than build it up? But rather somebody, you know, complete the building, complete the building. In Cape Town, there's this freeway. Have you seen it? Incredible. I mean, it's like, where's the forethought? Where, where's the planning? Where's the continuation in the, in the whole process. Herbert Lockyer writes that an unfinished life is a more tragic spectacle than a cement foundation without a building. An unfinished life. And that's why Paul says to the Galatian church in Galatians 1.6, I'm astonished that so many of you are quickly deserting the one who has called you by grace, the grace of Christ. God's desire is that we finish strong, right? God's desire is that we finish strong, Right? Hopefully some of you are saying amen in your hearts because I'm, maybe I'm a little bit of hard of hearing. Um, we're to finish strong. We're to finish strong. And, and, and it's hard. It's difficult because we've got to be self-disciplined and we've got to come under the jurisdiction of our God and our, of our King. Like Joshua in the, in the land of Canaan. And Joshua said, I want to take this land in his 80s. I want to take this land. And some of us in our 30s and 40s have parked off. We've got children. Now we've got too, many, too much responsibility. We back off. We can't serve. We can't serve God. And what about Paul? At the end of his journey, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight, and I finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I trust that when we come to the end of our lives, that we'll be able to say, I finished. I finished. I fought the good fight. It's a fight of faith. He, he tells Timothy a couple of times, it's a fight of faith, fight of faith, fight of faith. We have to be proactive. We have to be proactive. It's a fight. It's a battle. It's not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We have the victory in Christ. Amen? We're more than conquerors through Christ. We know the end result, but, but we still have to fight. What do we fight? We fight against our sinful natures. We fight against the world that wants to squeeze us into their mold. It wants to pull us back. And I know so easily, you know, I want to become comfort loving. And I want to enter into, you know, the give me, give me scene. Then we need to fight against the enemy, Satan. The world is a dangerous thing. And James chapter 4 and verse 4 says these horrific words. I mean, they are shocking words. They're alarming words. He says in uh, James 4, 4, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Not with non-Christians in, in the world, but it's the world's principles. So friendship with the world's principles, when I'm drawn into that, into that zone, then I, then I start hating God. I read that a couple of weeks ago and it, it just shocked me. It's like, God, I want to live hating you. I want to live loving you. I want to live surrendered to you. I trust that it's, it's a wake-up call to you as well as it was to me. And that's why it says three times here, the, the refrains, verse 26, verse 27, verse 33, if you... If you Live like this. If you don't live like this, you cannot be my disciple. 
you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. What is he saying? Give up everything. Do we have to sell everything? Do we have to all run off to the mission field? No. He's saying submit everything to the jurisdiction of God. Every dream, every aspiration, every desire, our families, our sport, our work, our church work, everything needs to come under his authority. Our first loyalty is to Jesus. Amen? Our first loyalty is to Jesus. And we've got to check our hearts daily. And we've got to submit our hearts to him as those who are living, not like that, but loving him and he loving us back. He's got so much for us. He's got so much in store for us. I trust that you're receiving this as God's encouragement to you to step up to the plate, to go forwards, to carry on, to get back into the fight. We have to do that because we're going to meet him one day and he's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Hopefully he'll say that over each one of us. Just this week I was um, finished sermon, boom, um, if you're timing. Um, this week I um, visited in hospital an 86-year-old and he was mumbling a bit and he's been mumbling a bit and I haven't quite understood what's happening because he's been in hospital for a long while now with a hip replacement. He fell. And so I spoke to the matron. I said, look, I'm one of the pastors from Sterling Baptist and, you know, how's, how's Keith doing and what's happening? Uh, wasn't he going to rehab? And he said, no, the, the medical aid are, are still coming back to us to whether he can be transferred to rehab. And I said, so how's he going? What's happening? And she told me, and then she said, Sterling, are you, are you one of the pastors from Sterling? She said, my son went there for the first time. We're not part of your church. But he came back totally changed and totally transformed. Oh, she said, oh, thank you so much. She said, you don't know how much you're doing for the city, how much of an impact you're making upon the city. Totally out of the blue. Totally out of the blue. Man, I walked tall after that. It's like, like, I just floated out. Floated out. It was because of you. So many of you were involved. So many of you were involved in it. And well done. Congratulations. And folk, let's step up. Let's step up. Because the world wants to see. She said, can, can my... Can my son come to your youth? We don't belong to your church. I said, of course. And um, let's have more of that, Lord. So let's, let's bow in God's presence and let's examine our own hearts and trust that God has touched certain things in your heart. That maybe the, there were some things that are aina, that are sore. Won't you confess them? Won't you move away from them? And why don't you say, Lord, be Lord of my life in this area. Forgive me. Come, Holy Spirit, come to our hearts and strengthen us for the fight. It is a fight. It's a battle until our dying day. 
but it's a worthwhile fight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, you said uh, in John 10, 10, before that you said the thief has come to kill and to steal and to destroy, but I have come to give you life in all its abundance. And so thank you, Lord, that when we take up our cross, when we deny ourselves, when we put you first in our hearts and our lives, that you give us this abundance, that you give us this joy, that you give us this blessing. And what a blessing it is, Lord. And we want to stand before you one day and we want that word of, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, God, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to not look back, not be like uh, Job's wife, uh, Lot's wife. And we ask, Father, that we would be blessed as a fellowship. So come now. Come, Holy Spirit, strengthen us in Jesus' wonderful name. Maybe you do not know Christ as your Savior, and maybe you, you're saying, wow, it, it, it seems like this, this is a difficult life, but Christ is offering me so much. Freedom from sin, from condemnation. If any man is in Christ, he's, there's no condemnation. There was a lady this morning that came to me in tears afterwards. She said, I feel so free. I feel like a weight has been lifted off. Something's rolled, rolled off me. And maybe, maybe that's you as well this morning. Maybe you need to come and speak to us and we can pray with you and that Jesus can become your Savior and your Lord. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a good day.